0: the way
1: here. <laughs> oh, so last week, sales guide part one. I've been thinking a lot about that too. I really like the idea of guide. You know, someone who shows you the way, who advises. And we were we've been kind of going through the sales guide process, if you will. And the way I've been thinking about it is, last week we kind of covered all the way up to this process until the sales guide actually comes in contact with the customer or the client so let's pick it up from there so we talked about you know we even talked about okay you gotta have the sales guide you know when they have the contact the sales guide has to be able to interview has to be able to um establish some reports There already some level of trust has been built they got to build on that talked about um what they had to do in order to have intuition. So, Um, maybe in sales guide part two, we can kind of bring it uh, through the end. So the sales guide, um, uh, uh, first contact, first contact with the customer client. Let's pick it up from there.
0: Yeah. And so in, and I was thinking about this while we were leading this conversation on nutrition. It starts with how, you feel about yourself because every sales coach or motivational speaker that you know has has been on a stage has it's in some way insinuated that sales is the transfer of passion from one person to the next it's infusing that positivity about a product and so how you feel is what makes you how you feel in general is what makes you a great salesperson. Your energy, your level of energy, your ambition, your desire to succeed, to convince to your belief in your product, the passion you have for what you're selling, your belief in yourself as a person. If you're honestly, if you're a depressed person, you may not want to be a sales guide. <laughs> Because you are creating an impression, whether you realize it or not, you're determining how that person on the other end of the phone, or if you're sitting across the table in a one-on-one sales call, you are determining how that person feels about you by how you feel and by how you feel about yourself as a person. Confidence is contagious. Insecurity is also contagious. If someone walks in their room and they, they've, you know, they've got some deep, deep rooted insecurities, they have, you know, social issues, they make other people feel uncomfortable. And in sales, that is your worst enemy. So that's why a lot of of great salespeople start in customer service because they've learned how to be so kind on the phone. They've learned how to make people feel warm and fuzzy and, and they provide this level of support that I've heard good customer service people on the phone. It's a gift. I mean, they can really, their tone, they're, they're you know, they can smile with their voice. And so, a good salesperson starts with a good customer service background. If, if you can't deal with people in the public retail, selling retail as a customer service person, you will never make it as a salesperson.
1: With everything. And in fact, um, you know, I think that has to do with life whether you're successful or not, really, right? I mean, do you feel good in general? And do you feel good about life? Do you feel good about yourself? Do you feel good about, um, when it it comes to sales, I think there are uh, a few things beyond just feeling good as a person. Tell me what you think about this, because I've been in a couple situations where, and I don't know how you get around this, but I started off with a company um, convinced, uh, at least for a while that the company was excellent and the products were excellent. Well, th- I felt good about them. I was highly successful. Um, and cause, cause I was feeling good about myself at the time, but then I, I, you know, and I think it happens with any organization. You start, you know, you start to learn more about the organization and more about the products and services. The goal hopefully is to find out, more and more better things, so you can even get more encouraged. But I've had experiences where the leadership and the culture and the products and/or services are subpar, less than what I feel good about. And so, um, and and so I, you know, there's all kinds of people, all kinds of all types of salespeople. And one of the things that sale—I know there's a lot of salespeople in that type of position. I think that's one of the reasons why salespeople move around so much is they're excited to think, okay, here's the place, and then they're like, oh, this is no this this culture is not good. The leadership, or just maybe my boss isn't good to work with or for, or the products and services aren't what they expected. So they have to kind of hop to another thing that they can at least believe in for a while. Um, but so if, if I think there's two things, either one, the salesperson, and I think this happens a lot too, is the salesperson then just falls into the illusion. They just say, okay, well, I I just want to believe it's good and I'm going to drink all the Kool-Aid no matter what. No matter what the customers are saying, no matter what the reality is, oh, this is the best thing since sliced bread. Oh, this is a great situation. And you just know, I mean, at least you think, boy, you you have to be deceiving yourself. Um, and that's the only or you or you don't really believe that. But you're keeping up appearances because you want to keep your job and you want to keep on selling and guard guard yourself against completely destroying your own conscience but so when sales find them in that type, some sales in that type of position where maybe they were excited and felt good about a company or product no
0: longer what, what do, you, do you have advice? Well I like reverse engineering things so if you take a cell phone from 20 years ago And you give that to someone in today's world and you tell them to sell it. (laughs) Okay, so this is how some movies start. You see the end of the movie first. (coughs) Now let's work our way backwards. Every product has an evolution if, if it's succeeding. If it doesn't succeed, it doesn't evolve and it dies. So Salesmen or sales guides and a product is a marriage. Now, every product has weaknesses, and the longer you sell a product, the more weaknesses you're going, going to discover. So, as the saying goes, ignorance is bliss. Some of the best sales guys are the new guys in times because they don't know all the weaknesses, but every product has weaknesses. So, this isn't really like this diss on anybody in particular every product out there has weaknesses. Do you focus on those weaknesses or do you focus on what's good? I mean, it's like relationships. Everything in sales relates to a relationship. When you're out on a date, you know, the longer you stare at this woman you're sitting across the table from, the more you might have this tendency if you're a critical person to notice every blemish, (laughs) Or, you know, you might, at first, you might have saw her across the room and you might say, oh, wow, then as you get to know her, as you like, but does that mean you end that relationship? Well, yes and no. Sometimes you, you, when you're in, when you're selling a product, you have, it's like that relationship. You're always going to know the flaws as, as you grow, the better the salesperson you are, the more you're going to be. Aware of the weaknesses of that product, but do you focus on that or do you divorce your, your company and go somewhere else? And sometimes divorce is necessary, you know, in that regard, if your company's not innovating and somebody else is, you might leave your job and go work for them instead, because you, it's like a bad relationship. You might say, ah, man, this isn't going anywhere. And, I could go work for this other company and make far more sales because their product is innovating faster than the one I'm selling now. So I'm just going to go. So you've got to have a certain amount of grace because every product has its weaknesses. And so what you want to do is you don't want to fool yourself entirely, but it's just like in a relationship, you don't want to focus on just the negative aspects of a product you want to focus on, in a, in a healthy relationship, the, where the grace and the mercy comes from is you focus on the positive aspects of that relationship, and it works the same with a product you're selling.
1: I think the key there, I think you're right. Um, for me, the key that stood out is innovation. The times where I have really kind of started to get fed up with um, two specific companies um, was when... Uh, The salespeople um, or just employees, they would say, here's here are the problems that we're hearing. And here's this. And there was and it not only um, it not only wasn't appreciated. um, It not only wasn't accepted and like, okay, hey, let's work to make this better. And it wasn't appreciated, but it was almost frowned upon, like, why are you bringing negative stuff to the company it's like well if you want to get better you got to listen to people (laughs) and you've got to listen especially to the customer if you want a better product and if you want to have a better company you got to listen to the employees and so i i think you're right and i think as long as i think a good company isn't a perfect company but a good company and, and a good product, even though it has weaknesses, is one that is innovative and it is willing to change and grow. I think that is the key word that you said in that whole statement.
0: That motivates salespeople. Innovation motivates salespeople. And the most innovative companies go beyond listening to the customer and they go beyond listening to the sales rep. They they go beyond everything and they find something it's almost like prophetic they they find a need that no one even knew existed it's kind of like bottled water when it first came out tap water was just fine no one was complaining but you know you when you innovate beyond the customer's expectation and beyond your salesperson's level of creativity when you go beyond that and you create something that's prophetic. It it could create a sales team that is mind-blowing because now you've just handed them the golden ticket. You've given them something that they didn't even they would have never even thought of. You've given a you've given the customer something that they didn't even know they needed, and now you're you're laying it on the table, and they're, you know, it's like Tesla. You know how hard it is to start a new car company; they fail constantly. It's to the point where people won't even the ideas on new vehicles die before they even start. You don't see new car companies popping up every day because it is one of the hardest things to get into selling cars. There is so much detail, so many parts, so much that so much that has to come together to make a successful car brand. Which is why, you know, Tesla has blown my mind because they're not only surviving, they're thriving. And what I mean, about it, SpaceX? They beat all the odds, and SpaceX too. They, yeah, they lowered the cost of of creating rockets and sending them into space. It, it was an embarrassment to companies like you know Boeing and Lockheed Martin, and you know to the point where they ended up partnering with them um, because they couldn't win. So if you can't beat them, join them. And it was
1: long- Things where people said, oh, it can't be done. Um, And then Musk was like, yes, it can. (laughs) It just, it hasn't been done, but it can be. And like Peter Diamandis says, um, he said, "Um, every great idea people think it's crazy the day before it's actually done.
0: And usually the people that are behind those passions are a little bit crazy. So... (laughs) I mean, you see, you see Elon Musk taking hits off, you know, a blunt on, you know. The Logan experience. Yeah. And you think to yourself, huh, really? That's him? But
1: you know what? I saw, did you watch that? I did. That was, I I thought it was very Elon (laughs) Musk-ish. Like, taking it as like a scientific approach almost. He's like, hmm, let me see here. <laughs> he smelled it, looked at it, took a puff off it, like was analyzing how he felt, what it smelled. Like, I was like, oh, he's like, this is not like, oh, let me just take a dragon and see, you know, get high and feel good. He, like, I mean, it was very, very coordinated and analytical. I was like, I, I, I mean,
0: that's the I, difference between religion and spirituality religion is this is how you do things here's all the rules and you got to go by the book and eastern spirituality is you're an experience that's who you are every experience you go through in life is going to teach you about who you are you know where you came from where you're going it's an experience and the most creative businessmen, they look at business that way. It's an experience. I'm going to try it. I'm going to experiment. I'm not going to listen to anybody because there's always going to be someone telling you it's impossible always. And, and just because half the people out there think it's impossible, you know, if 30% of the people, I mean, where are you going to draw the line? What if 20% of people say it's possible are you going to say okay well 80% say it's impossible so forget it I'm not going to do it yeah you know and in sales that's the 80-20 rule the the 20% that are succeeding are the 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 other 80% are accusing the the successful 20% of either cheating or or they're doing the impossible, and that's really hard, and it's rare to find somebody that good. And they have all these reasons why the 20% out there are doing so well, and it has nothing to do with the 20% just being honest, hard, honest, hardworking, creative, positive salespeople. You know, that's, that's all the things you have to deal with with sales teams is – You you know, the best guys on the sales team are always going to be ridiculed by the rest. They're going to be accused of cheating or finding loopholes or it it is a it's a phenomenon that happens everywhere on sales teams all over the world.
1: I think that, you know, as you were saying that I agree, the 80-20, the Pareto principle, it, it goes into every area of life. It's interesting in some in some things I've seen. Um, it's kind of like 90, 10, but it's always like 80, 20, 90, 10 in almost anything in life. Um, uh, by the way, I just learned something of the Fibonacci sequence. I don't want to talk about it here. But very interesting. You should look it up. Um, but, and, and cause I've been reading about learning about scrum. It's so interesting. That's another podcast. It's, uh, it's, it's really, really cool. But, um, but, yeah, you know, I was thinking about the, that. And I think that because salespeople especially um, seems like they're really, really good ones, they make it look easy. But I was thinking of, but they always do the things that you need to do. But like, um, like Wa- Wallace Waddles in The Science of Getting Rich said, it's not only about um, um, doing things. It's about doing things in a certain way. And so the successful people in general in sales do those things, those fundamentals, right? You 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 do those fundamentals, but you do it in a certain way. Like you you have to you have to make contact with people. You have to interact with people. But like you talked about last week, you can either try that by phone <laughs> or you can try it other way. So you gotta do those things in the right way. And I think if you do things in the right way, those things become easier. But that brings me back to, so the sales guide has the first encounter with a customer client. He or she already has great intuition. He or she she already knows how to build a rapport, establish trust, interview, is confident, feels good. So what else? First contact. All those things have been preliminary, has all those things in place. First contact with the customer. Anything else that person needs to have other than, all of these wonderful things
0: (laughs) well i mean if, if you think people are gullible you become a fool and that's one mistake i see a lot of sales guys make they start bringing up these tricks like i heard someone in the steel industry talk about the they were trying to use the steel tariffs and oh and steel prices are going to go up and i mean this is all old news and it's already happened and it's already they've already come back down right and anyone who's informed out there so if you if you're assuming that somebody's ill-informed or they're not informed and you decide that you're going to try to use some manipul- manipulative tactic like, you know, the threat of price increases or something and they they're informed. They're, you're going to become the fool on that sales call. And so oftentimes I, I learn what not to do that. It's, Cause life is more about what you, what, what you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to assume somebody is going to fall for a trick and desperation is a salesperson's worst enemy so if you're trying to sell a product out of desperation and you're going to naturally resort to ill means to close a sale and it's sabotage it's like the snowball effect you're 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 drowning and you're trying to gasp for air and your your gasps are all the manipulation that comes out in your sales approach and It gets worse and worse until you're gone. And I've been watching a guy do that. And I'm thinking, whoa, you're, you know, if his his job is on the line and he's, you know, feeling threatened and and you can tell in the way he's selling.
1: Okay, so um, don't think people are gullible. Assume that they're informed and don't be desperate. Be calm. Take some fish oil. And and, okay, so go ahead. What else?
0: And the other thing is competition. So we've been talking about team selling and how healthy that is. And like I said, it, it's all aspects of relationships. Team selling is a functional family. It's everybody helping everybody, achieving the goal together. Everyone's nearly selling the same amount. They're all at the high end, the top I end. Together.
1: Can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Because I've been going a lot, because a lot of sales teams, quote unquote, don't operate as teams at all. They op- operate like work groups. And a work group, you know, is just a bunch of people that work together. But they don't work towards a common goal. A team works towards a common goal. You have a football team, their goal is to win the game. And they all have different roles they play. I've, I've been thinking about this a lot. I think a sales team should have one goal, one overall sales goal, and the team members all play a part in that, and they all um, uh, have their roles to play but any bonuses and incomes and so forth is based off that one goal. And if that's the case, everybody is moving towards in that same direction. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, because when you feel like someone has your back, you're going to perform better, you're going to work harder. So, if I'm on my lunch break and some a deal that I've been trying to close you know, they call in and they can't get a hold of me because I'm on my lunch break, which is very important to take lunch for your own sanity. And I recommend an hour a day because you need to get away. That's where your creativity is going to come from, because while you're sitting there eating your sandwich, you're going to think, oh, man, I forgot to tell that customer this. And and I bet you when I call him back and let him know he's going to buy because it's just everything becomes more clear when you when you give your brain some space i mean it's like laying in bed i'll think of things that you know taking a a break every day keeps you you healthy and creative and but but if you're on on that break and your customer calls you have, there's two options team selling is knowing that If they go around your your cell phone number and they call the office and another sales guy takes that call and they see that you have been working on that in the database, first of all, they're going to take the call, even though they know you're working on it. They're going to know that it's your lead, but they're they're not going to care because you're team selling and they're going to want to talk to that guy and assist them, close the deal even, take the guy's money and be done with it. You get back from lunch. And you find out that your fellow sales guy took care of it for you. You still get the commission on the deal. And maybe the same thing happens the next day in reverse. Maybe the other guy is at lunch, and you take a deal. And so suddenly you're all like loving on each other. I mean, that's a healthy, functional family. That's everyone looking out for each other. And that's how you grow a company. You don't grow a company by pitting two people against each other so that when he sees that someone else owns that lead that he's going to start saying, "Eh, I don't need to answer that call. That's, that's, that's Josh's sale. That's not mine. Or they see, you know, that it's in the database after they pick up the phone, the customer starts to hear this disappointment in the sales guy's voice unbeknownst because he noticed he's looking on the computer and he's like, Oh, this is Josh's lead. Yeah. I'm not going to be very nice to this guy. Cause I don't want Josh to win the sales contest this month.
1: <laughs> that, that, that Josh, here's what I would say. I would say that if you have a team of like 10 salespeople and it's healthy, as you said, they're all going to have around the same numbers, but any salesperson, you know, just in general, you know, sometimes you have better weeks, better months than others, but a healthy team is going to have all about the same. Every now, there might be some seniority levels or some training levels where maybe the base salary is different. Like, um, you know, like a football team, not everybody makes the same amount base salary, right? But everybody participates in the same bonuses and so forth. Um, But I would imagine a sales force or sales team where there is one goal the commissions are exactly the same based on whatever that number is, and it gets distributed evenly so that when it comes to the actual selling, everybody benefits equally from the commission. So there is no, oh, that's Josh's customer or that's that salesperson. It's, These are all our customers, and, and my, my goal, my commission, my pay is tied with him. And I think it's, and I think it's even better than that because, um, a lot of people they work when they work together, their peers play a great part. Like in Scrum, I'm telling you about that. It's it's self. These are about self organizing teams. And if you have one goal and one pot of commission that gets equally distributed, everybody's going to organize together to to do their best together to hit those goals. And so um and so and and if and if one is like consistently not pulling his or her weight the rest of the team is gonna be like i'm sorry you got to get better or go we're here to help you and let's do this and and but if that person is like refusing to participate then that team is going to be like okay you got to go sorry but you're pulling we're not going to let you pull the rest of us down consistently
0: well the best part about it is that's usually some old dog who's a narcissistic personality disorder and he doesn't want to play by, you know, the team rules. He doesn't want to contribute in the same way. He, he wants to be better. He's like so caught up in being better than, than everybody else that, he ends up sabotaging his own success because he doesn't learn from the other people. He doesn't follow the same system. So they're all succeeding on a proven system and he's trying to create his own system, which if your own system works and you share that with a team, the whole team gets better. If your own system's failing, but you're insistent on doing it differently and you fail, then you do. You stand out like a sore thumb. That's someone who doesn't play well with others and they will stand out ultimately. And their numbers will show it eventually. And, you know, as far as what you're talking about, scrum, that's like, that's called a, a captain's bonus. Whoever the sales coach is that's coaching that team, he's going to get a cut of whatever the team sells every month. So his job is to maintain unity amongst the team. He's the guy who, he's like the psychologist, the family psychologist. He makes sure that everybody's getting along and playing well together. And if they're not, he's going to fix that, even if it means letting somebody go. Um, But every sales, every sales. I
1: I think, cause I have never heard anyone talk about this, but. When, because so I, I real, when people talk about sales teams, I think it's bunk. No, it, it if a, if there's if there aren't specific positions where everyone's working towards the same common goal and they all and they all benefit the same from that and they all benefit from that goal. Like for instance, sales managers they have an overall goal. Most of the time, the salespeople they don't give a crap about the team goal. It doesn't affect them. They need to hit their numbers and they know it. And it and whatever somebody else does doesn't affect them except in an atmosphere. I, I mean, I have not heard of a sales team, but I think I do think that if there's a true sales team that operates off that one goal together and they all benefit in that same way and they all want to pitch in these different roles and really help with each other's <laughs> strengths and weaknesses, people, people, if, You know, people usually play according to the rules of the game somewhat. And so if you set the rules of the game up where you have the captain's bonus and then you have the individual commissions and that sets it up for competition. But if everybody's on the same page and everybody has the same goal and everyone's going to benefit from the same goal, they're going to want to help each other. They're going to do it more and they're going to function as a
0: team. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like uh, a form of profit sharing, which is a common thing, not common enough, though, but there's a lot of companies that do profit sharing.
1: Those companies thrive and flourish.
0: Yeah, and, and I totally agree 100%. If there's some mutual benefit for people to play well and to play, you know, great together, then they're going to want to help Everyone. It's like democracy. United we stand, divided we fall. If you're starting to pit everyone on your sales team against each other and now you have tribal knowledge, people keeping secrets, no one wants to share their their tricks with anyone else, then um, you hurt a company. So this whole idea of co- competition being a good thing. In the sales team, it's not necessarily a good team. It causes secrets to be kept. It causes division and drama in the office. And, you know, and it holds off, obviously, well, as we're saying, it's going to hold some people back because those who can benefit from those tricks are not going to know. So they're failing and they're not failing because they're not willing. They're failing because they're not educated and that's a whole different reason for failure so this whole team selling structure it guarantees that everyone's going to be educated and then if you if, if after being educated you fail that's different that means you're just not good at your job because you've been given everything you need to succeed you've been given the tools there's no secrets and if you still can't succeed then go find another position somewhere else doing something completely different. Um, so I I totally agree um, 100%. And, <clears throat> um, But, yeah, I mean, united we stand, divided we fall. It works the same way with nations as it does with sales teams. We all have to work together to grow.
1: Okay, so we're back at that first contact. So – um. There's gonna be some interviews. <laughs> Got to be confident. Um, other people will have your back to take that first contact if needed, or or um develop. So so how how do we move forward? This is only first contact. You're interviewing. You're establishing trust. Where are we going from here?
0: So we're building. We're building the morale. We're building the team atmosphere. We're building.
1: What happens the on the foundation?
0: and then guess what when the phone rings in an environment like that now that we've built the foundation the team selling the morale the positive atmosphere that everybody wins together when that phone rings it's totally different when when an email comes in or a text comes in or a chat comes in now you've got the right spirit now you're starting with positivity. Now you've got this I can't wait to help you. We're all going to win together. So I'm going to help this this customer. So now you're going to dig in and you're going to you're going to listen. That's the, one of the keys. There's so many sales people that don't listen. They they have their pitch and they drop it and then they don't care about what the customer needs. They don't care about solving problems. They just think they're going to move on to the next call. And that is toxic. So the team selling slows everyone down. They're not so aggressive to compete against each other. They won't, the, the success becomes for far more important than getting into that whole – it's a numbers game, right? Numbers game says I'm going to take as many calls as I can and do a half-assed job because I know I could be half-assed and take 200 calls and I'm going to sell – you know, twenty thousand dollars every two hundred calls I take. If I can just take two hundred calls, that's all it's about—the it's numbers game, right? That's that's the toxic approach. The, the team selling approach slows everybody down. They're they're happy to answer the phone. They take their time. They listen. They build a relationship. They analyze issues that they can resolve, and they overcome challenges. And in doing so, they. They transfer the passion, they get the money, and they close the deal.
1: <laughs> I think that is so cool, the way you just did that. Because you set up all this foundation, and you're like, okay, we have all this. Okay, now they take their time, quality. They understand there's still quantity. They do answer the phone. And then you just kind of move through. Okay. Then you talk with them. You listen. You um and then you uh, close the deal. <laughs> it's, awesome.
0: like, it's like a functional family, okay? If your parents are are addicted to heroin, you, you know, everything that's important for a child to succeed happens before they leave their house. So mom's high. I don't get breakfast. Mom's high. I don't have any clean clothes. No one did the laundry. You know, mom's high. I haven't taken a shower for a week mom's high. I've had no social engagement. She's been half, half awake high, you know? So it is a sales team is like, it's like a functional family. If you take care of a kid, if you give him everything he needs, if he's got the nutrition, the sleep he needed, the energy he needed, and he's happy and he gets to school and sits down and gets there safely, right? He's got a ride to school. He doesn't have someone who's too high to get him to school to drive right everything that happens in sales starts with the organization and the atmosphere they create and the and the team selling environment that motivates and nourishes and educates and makes sure that those guys are happy when they answer the phone and it, it, it you know we talked about the first part last week which was you have a great website your relative, you, you demonstrate and present your product properly. You leave people alone, you woo them. And so we were talking about, you know, what happens before the phone rings um, in terms of presentation last week. Now this week, it's like we're talking about what happens on the sales team before the phone rings. And so honestly, if you've got a helpful, willful, happy spirit answering the phone people buy from who they like and they buy from someone who solves their problems yeah i
1: like i like the way you put like i think old school selling and they talk of it you know even it really annoys me even new trainings um on sales that i've had they talk about overcoming objections it's like you know i'm so sick of that bullshit OK, first of all, I mean, I really think there's a much better way to look at it. You talk about overcoming challenges and, I, and the challenge isn't 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 the person you're serving. It isn't the customer. The challengers are whatever challenges the customer is facing. You guide them to overcome the challenges that they are facing and and you're not overcoming objections. You're answering legitimate questions and you either answer them in a in a truthful way and in a way that leads to greater progress or you answer them hopefully in a truthful way. It's like, Oh, okay. This is not the right journey for the, for me to be on. Cause sometimes the best sales guide is going to say, Oh, you know what? This part of the jungle or this part of Mount Everest is not good for you. It's not right for you. You should not go on this part of the journey.
0: Right. And You do need to know your competition, uh, which is part of the whole education process. So you're helping still. Someone says, I understand that you're a great product, but your competitor just offered me the same thing for, for less. And if you can honestly bash your competition, honestly, because bashing, the word bashing just indicates you're just talking trash, right? There's a difference between honest being honest and bashing. So when I say bashing, what I mean is know your competitors' weaknesses. So in other words, if you're so focused on your own product's weakness, you're never going to get past that. And you're, you're not even going to want to answer the phone because you're going to think, Well, my product has these weaknesses. Well, if you know your competitor's weaknesses, that's different. You're going to answer that phone and you're going to know that you're prepared to deal with any challenge that comes your way. So understanding your competitor is huge. The pros and the cons. And there are going to be other apples to apples products. So what do you do about that? You say, I'll match any price out there if it's apples to apples. Because that that is fair. If someone's selling an equivalent product and they're selling it cheaper, then maybe I could do a little better for you. Because that's fair. But in actuality, your price is, if it's honest, it's going to be based on your quality that differentiates you. So you have to know that differentiating factor. You have to understand that the reason why the other guy's cheaper is because... You know, he's compromised this and this and this. And his, and that's why his price is, is lower. One sec, Josh. What if it's the other way around?
1: What if, see that, that and, and I understand what you're saying, but I, I think what you're assuming is that you are working at the better product, better company. Um, what if you are at the other company where this product is, if it's even apples for apples, if, if it's the same what is the differentiation? What if it's not? What if you know the culture? What do you know the customer service is not as good? Um, I completely agree with you. You have to understand the differentiation. And I think that's very important <laughs> because I, think there, I also think there are very few apples-to-apples apples companies and products. I really do. Um, I think that there are always differences. Um, there are some products that are better, that, that they may be similar, but they have some variation. Or if it's the exact same product, where you have like distributors there's a difference in culture there's a difference in customer service there's a difference in warranty there's a difference in whatever it is there are almost always differences but i mean you came from from a certain perspective but what if you're at the other person's
0: well i wouldn't know. i actually wouldn't want to work for my competitor like honestly if, if knowing what i know
1: right but there are people that work for your competitor
0: yeah and if i, I their perspective
1: what's your what's your advice to them
0: (laughs) i don't even know how to give that advice because if i once i discovered those unethical compromises whether it's in service or in quality whatever it took for them to be cheaper i i couldn't work for those companies i can't even relate
1: get out if you find anything unethical and and the company's aware of it and they're not willing to change you get out
0: that's the way i feel because once you discover that that's like a bad relationship you you know you you get to the end of your first date and she's drunk and can't even walk to the car right or you you know you 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 there's just certain things that you know you you can't tolerate it and do people get married that have those issues? They do. And then they end up divorcing sometime. And it's a shame because sometimes they waste years of their life. And then they <laughs> and then one day they're like, ah, yeah, I, this has all been a waste and I'm leaving. <laughs> so if, if you could go back in time, it's like, well, part of that is, a, is the evolution of, a, of personal growth you might work for some company that's all about competition and cutthroat and being, you know, cheap, the cheapest guy in the block and they might not have team selling and it might be, and you might tolerate that, but that says more about you as a person. It's like when somebody comes to you with a whole bunch of insults and they, they're, they're just rude to you. It says more about them if you're willing to work for a company like that, and, and if, and the longer you're willing to stay with that company, the more it says about you, you shouldn't be criticizing that company. It's like a, a bad relationship. Everyone's like, leave, leave. All your friends are saying, leave. Why are you there? Why do you put up with it? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and maybe one day it's your idea and you say, oh yeah, this is unhealthy. And then everyone's like, duh, we've been telling you that for years. And, and, you know it says more about the person that's why i laugh when i hear someone for you know 2 3 years in a row complaining about how much they hate their job that says more about them for staying at that job i don't blame their company i blame them
1: i think what you're saying is like i mean cuz it can completely happen where cuz most of the time you don't really know where you're getting into when you go to work for a company you know what they tell you you know kind of the uh, the shallow facets like it, like a lake, you kind of have an idea about how deep it might be. You kind of have an idea about what might be in there. But until you jump in, you just don't know. And you have to swim around a while and go deep and explore. Um, eventually, you know, if you find out there are piranha in the river um, or the lake, uh, you know, you find out there are electric eels, you find out there are things that are not good, then you get out. But but if you find that stuff out and then you stay there, then that's your problem. Right. Um, but And, and then, then you have to deal with that. But let me ask you this. Just a little devil's advocate thing here, right? So, is it possible you're deceived and the people at your
0: competitor are actually right? Honestly, <laughs> even though I would never work for my competitor, I know my competitor so well that I could be super successful selling their product. I know every lie that they tell. I know every trick. I know what lures people into buying their products. I've heard every story and I and and so I could be super successful selling for my competitor. So
1: here's something that I just want to put the reason I asked you that was for a specific reason is because there are some salespeople that just drink the Kool-Aid. Other people or the company says we're better. Oh yeah we're better and, and they don't even they don't even do any homework. They don't do due diligence. They don't really do the work of really understanding their competitor and you can have a competitor that's great even that's important right because you have two great companies you do your Like, you know what that that company's great they do this well they do that well and and in that scenario i think it's good to be honest but as long as you're like hey we do this well we do this better here's where we really shine but i think the difference is you have really done your homework (laughs) Probably in as unbiased a way as possible, not just listening to what maybe the company has told you.
0: Well, and and here's the funny thing: you you brought up a term that I'd never heard, which might show my uh, lack of reading. Uh, <laughs> but you brought up a term you're like intrapreneurial or intra- intrapreneurial spirit, and I was I had to go, after you said it. I had to go look it up because I thought. Did he say that wrong? Was he was he like, <laughs> you know, uh, mispronouncing something? And I, I looked it up and I said, no, he wasn't. Oh my goodness. And I, so here's the funny thing. You could go into a company, break the rules, succeed in your own entrepreneurial spirit and completely transform the culture of that company. And that's something that, You know, they say, well, when you get married, you shouldn't get married, you know, believing that you could change that person. You know, you should accept them. You married them, so you should accept them and don't believe you could change that person. Well, everybody changes. And there's a way of changing where it's like team selling. You you change together, you grow together, you move forward together. And sometimes some a sales guy, a good sales guy with a good entrepreneurial spirit could go into a company and he could trigger some kind of growth. They might not they might not like him, they might not trust him, they might not believe in what he's doing. But as the numbers come in, eventually their their mentality starts to shift if they don't fire that guy. And I know. There's been times in the past where they have not liked, I mean, I've had bosses at my company that did not like the way I did things. Well, here we are, you know, 14 years later. And they're like, shadow Josh, shadow him. Hire new guys and shadow him. Oh my gosh. The idea in the first two years of working for this company of them saying that, no way. I was nothing. They were just like, make your calls and jump on a plane and fly here and fly there and do what we say and do it the way we say to do it. And and as time has gone on, everything has evolved and it's all evolved together. The environment that we sell in has changed. The methods that we used have changed. people that we hire i mean everything the bosses that we put in place to 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 run things everything has changed so we've all grown together and and um it was challenges initially it was people who disagreed with with each other that eventually came to a compromise on things and i don't always win and sometimes you know i've I've worked for two companies in the last 19 years. I've had two jobs. And so if you think there hasn't been things that I disagreed with, there has been plenty of things and I have just stayed. I've sucked it up. And I said, I'm going to respect my leadership and I'm just going to let them learn. And sometimes I was even wrong. Unbelievably. I mean, (laughs) It's okay to be wrong. And that's something that even I had to learn. It used to be hard for me to be wrong. But now, as I get older, it's become easier. It's the humility that comes with age. You realize that you don't know everything. And that sometimes people, even though their ideas seem crazy, they actually are very intelligent. They see something that you don't see and they've identified. They've used the prophetic, innovative approach and they've seen something that no one else sees in the future and they've changed the company and succeeded as a result.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good idea of an entrepreneur. And, and um, I do think, from my own experience, that when you're with a smaller startup or growing company, that those people are actually invaluable. And I think that's the way you become invaluable, I think it's harder for definitely because, you know, for those entrepreneurs out there that are like that, they want to see growth. They want to see change. They want to make a positive impact. They want to see growth in themselves and in the company. But if it's a larger organization company and they are not like that and they're just kind of like, this is the way we do things. This is what we do. We don't change. This is how we've done it for 20 years. And this is the way we're going to continue to do it. um, Then I think that can be really, really challenging and unless they're like in a division or on a team that they can make an, uh, a positive impact um, or maybe move up into a position, that I think that's good for them. If not, um, I think it's time to get out. And you know what? I, I, I used to, because I've, I've switched around a bit, and I used to think, oh, man, I should have just stayed one place, but I don't think that's the case. I don't, even think, I don't think that's the case, especially in this transitional era, because I think we are really going from – Um, Kind of a spirit in business and culture of competition um, to one of real collaboration and kind of a a spirituality in all of our lives, including work. People are are wanting a purpose in work. People are wanting um, to be passionate about what they do or or um, because they're realizing I spend most of my life doing this. I don't want to spend my life doing something I don't want to do. And I don't want to be in an organization I don't believe in. And I don't want to be with people I don't want to be around. And I think that's right. Life is short. You don't have to do that.
0: Well, humility is knowing your strengths as much as it is knowing your weaknesses. So a genuinely humble person who is confident because those aren't opposite you know some circles they they almost make it seem like you know confidence is the opposite of humility they want to make confidence look like pride like arrogance Eric. and yeah. and confidence is a is is half of what humility is so sometimes you look like an idiot because you're so confident that something will work and you get persecuted for it and you just keep pushing that idea and, and you know, you might even get fired because you were trying to help and, you know, or ridiculed because you were trying to help. But that's part of humility, being willing to stick your neck out because you, you are confident. And, but then the other half of humility is knowing how to be wrong sometimes. It You know, we always want to, Say, yeah, well, I wasn't a hundred percent (laughs) wrong. You know, we want to like make our wrongness less wrong. We want to say, Well, I was half right. (laughs) No, man, you know, there is no such thing as half right. That's a broken equation. So learn how to be wrong and learn how to be confident. Because they're they're necessary in in making your path ahead easy. Everyone has the power To make the rest of their life easier You could spend the rest of your life So focused on trying to prove that you're right That you stay with dysfunctional companies And you keep fighting But what you're really fighting is yourself And some people spend their life running And what you're really running from If you're that way is you're running from yourself And you're only going to run back into yourself Again at the next job and you're going to face the same challenges, right? So, you know, it, it's it, this applies to everything. In the, You know, biblically speaking, Jacob ra- wrestled God. D- did he really wrestle God? I mean, does that really happen? That's not even a wrestling match. Jacob was wrestling himself. He broke his own hip. And, and that's what you see. You watch these people breaking their own hips. I see that all the time. I have the saying, drama seems to follow the same people everywhere they go. And it's true. And some people not only make it look easy, they actually, in their humility, have created an easy life. Because they're willing to be wrong and they're also willing to be right, even if they're going to be persecuted for it. And... They, they, they win ultimately. And so we have the rest of our life to prove how humble we are. The rest of the life our life to prove how much integrity we have or the rest of our life to prove how much of a snake we are. But we have the rest of our life. God's mercies are new every morning. So you know you you today is another opportunity for everyone to prove you know, how great they are. Well,
1: I think that's a great way to end this episode. That was, just, that's awesome. I, I mean, that, that, those uh, paragraphs that you said there, um, those, those sentences, I think that's, that's awful. I, I mean, awesome. Sorry. <laughs> I think it's awesome. And, um, and the, the way you, you put some of those things in terms of sometimes you're, you're running from yourself. Sometimes you're fighting yourself. Sometimes you leave, you're going to, you're going to basically run into yourself again. Um, sometimes you are leaving, uh, you know, the, the wrong situation or the wrong, or the wrong company and you know, you're looking for the right company. One thing I thought in that, um, in the book, grit talks about how it's really good when people are younger to try all kinds of different things. Um, you you need to kind of figure out what you're good at, what your strengths are, what your talents are, what your interests are, um, really. and, And in order to really find it out, you have to try it. And so um uh the author really deck deck I can't duckworth um talks about how that is really important in terms of development. And if you're a developing person, hopefully that's for the rest of your life. And people change, interests change, ideas change. It's a continuing process. And sometimes staying at the staying at the um same place is good, sometimes Movement is good. Sometimes it depends on the person and wh- whether they want more types of security or they want more adventure um, or what the opportunities are at an organization. I mean, if you're in an organization that's five people and they have one local office and all they do is sit on the phone and on computer all day, but you want to be out and about doing things or traveling, then that's not the place for you. Um, so, um, you know, I think it, it's interesting. I think it's great that you've been at these two places. And I think that you've uh learned and i think that you've as you said you've grown with them and i think they've started i think you've probably as my guess has made a huge difference in the culture of that organization and if it weren't for you um that the organization might have folded or might wouldn't be nearly the same as it is as it is today so anyway um with that but
0: you know what's funny is those companies were willing to take a risk that i wasn't willing to take otherwise i would own that company so if it wasn't for people like that there wouldn't be people like me and i'm so grateful for people who stick their neck out in their own humility and and start a company those are the people that feed my family. And, and no matter how well I do, I can never forget those people.